we are in week three. We are seeing an ever-increasing uh, relationship, really, before our eyes. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, we've moved uh, somewhat chronologically, but more developmentally, I, I think. Um, the, the chronology of it is, is probably secondary to just the ongoing development of the relationship. And um, we've seen Solomon and um, this woman, who is unnamed in the book, um, grow increasingly uh, closer together. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. Next week is the wedding and the wedding night, so that should be fun. Uh, I want to give a warning to parents of young children for next week um, that uh, if you're not ready to have the talk, don't bring them next week because we're going to have the talk, okay? And so, um, and, and I'm not doing it for you, so don't just rely on me and then be like, Johnny, is that good? We cool? Okay, so <laughs> don't do that, okay? So, um, so we are, we are moving along in, in, in the relationship between these two, and we hit a crucial point today um, in, in anticipation of the wedding as their relationship is, is really ramping up. And, and I want to start by defining some terms um, more for the purpose of our conversation and, and the message than, than in any universal sense because these terms have different meanings for different people, um, but want to draw a distinction between dating and courtship. Okay? And don't get tied up into the terminology. I know courtship brings with it um, some certain connotations. Some of you, it brings kind of homeschool connotations. Some of you, um, it, it brings uh, you know, your, your experience in the king's court and the whole deal. So um, I, I, want to, uh, I, I want to just use these terms um, to communicate a difference in purpose in a relationship, okay? And so um, up until this point, we've seen um, interaction beyond, beyond their, their somewhat physical interaction. Um, we, we've seen more surfacey, a little bit more shallow interaction between the two. We're gonna, we're gonna get really serious here today in, in, the, in their relationship. Um, but, but I see this a lot in, in people's relationships, this, this kind of ongoing uh, development, ongoing increase in emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. Um, and so I, I just want to draw a little bit of a distinction for our purposes between dating and courtship. So um, for our purposes, dating um, is the, the casual interactions um, that two people might have uh, monogamously or semi-monogamously, um, meaning that you may be just going to coffee with a person and you may be going to coffee with another person, you know, maybe not at the same time, but, um, but, uh, but you know, in, in, over the course of a month, um, that, it's, that it's not necessarily uh, as directional or purposeful um, as, as some parts of a relationship that dating is, is more shallow, it's more casual, you're just kind of getting to know whether or not there's enough uh, likeness of faith, of values, of future, of personality, to even kind of start to really talk about those things and pursue uh, potential marriage. The, the problem comes in, in a couple of different areas. One is when we are perpetually in the dating phase, where it's just, oh yeah, I'm having coffee with this girl, I'm dating, I'm, I'm having dinner with this girl, I'm taking her out, and, and there's not really any purpose to any of it. It's just more kind of experiential, one time, one thing. Um, she's cute, I want to spend some time with her, but so she, and so I'm going to spend some time with her, kind of a deal. Um, and so there, there's this forever dating kind of trap that we fall into where none of the relationships ever get purpose to them. Um, and, and if you are here today and you are a Christian, there ought to be purpose in, in largely everything that you do. 
and, and especially something as important uh, to our lives as, as relationships. And so um, that, that's one trap. Another trap that, that we can get into with this, this kind of dynamic is where in a relationship, one person gets out in front of the other, right? And so uh, it's your first date, it's your second date, and, and the guy's going, so where are we at? Um, are we ready? I've got a ring. Do we need to... Uh, um, we're settled on four kids, right? You know, that kind of thing. And, and that's a little early for that, um, I, I think. Um, but but there, there tends to be that sometimes in, in really good, well-meaning Christian guys, um, and, and then sometimes in, in Christian girls as well, um, where it's first date, we need to decide if this is serious. And I would just say, let's hold off on that a little bit um, and maybe just start with like the, what's your favorite color kind of questions and, and, and kind of move into children's names. And so um, I, I think that there is a, a place for a real natural development there. Um, and, and so the problem is not necessarily the pace of it, because I, I know couples um, who met and were engaged within uh, just more than a week, eight days is the shortest amount of time I know of, and they were married for a very, very long time. Um, and, and so this, it's not so much the pace as if there were a universally good pace. Uh, the, the pain point comes when there is a difference, right? When, when one of the, the one of the halves of the relationship is down the road here and, and see them in a, in a courting, directional, serious place, and the other sees them um, as just kind of, you know, hanging out and getting to know each other, right? And so this, these are where the pain points come, um, where often she is, is pushing for commitment, pushing for um, something future, and he is on his Xbox not really sure who she is. So um, there, there's, these, there's these pain points that, that, that come into it. And so um, one of the things that Tommy Nelson, who is uh, a pastor and author who's written a lot on Song of Solomon, teaches a lot on Song of Solomon, um, he wrote in, in his book that I thought was really, really good. And something I want to give us for this morning is, as we move into the message is for the ladies, um, it, it's not good, and this applies both ways, but he, he addressed it to the ladies, but it, it applies to both genders, um, that we shouldn't push for commitment, but we should push for communication. Right? That, that it is probably not legitimate to, to be pushing and pushing and pushing on somebody to commit because that's probably going to result in a bad end. Right? Either um, they are going to commit out of just they want to get you off their back, which is a bad commitment, um, or it's going to cause a, a breakup unnecessarily. Um, what I think is totally legitimate to push for is communication. So um, throughout this message, if you're here and you're dating, I, I don't want any of this. Like, yeah, see, you should be committing to me, none, none of that, um, but maybe afterwards uh, going out to lunch and going, hey, maybe we should talk. Maybe we should talk about where we're at and what you're thinking and what I'm thinking and, and we can have our little DTR and, and, and kind of define the relationship and the, and the whole deal and, and, and at least be on the same page. Um, and so my expectations aren't exceeding your expectations or, or, or vice versa. So um, throughout, this, throughout this period of time, and, and, and really I think this truth is universally applicable to all, all parts of our life, um, that pain pain comes between expectation and reality, right? So whatever, whatever area of life that we're, we're speaking of, pain uh, or disappointment comes between expectation and reality. So I, I thought we were here, but reality's here, right? So even if um, reality isn't where we want it to be, 
if it's the same as our expectations, there's, there's no pain or there's less pain, right? So we, we, we know where we stand. We know what to expect and those expectations are being met. And so what, what I hope that this message does for us is, is maybe push some of you along the path a little bit. Uh, some of you guys or girls who have been kind of unwilling to commit for selfish reasons um, and, and not for legitimate reasons and, and perhaps that it would uh, for some break, break you up. Uh, I think that might be really healthy for, for some of you who are um, in, in really unbalanced relationships. We'll call it unbalanced because I want to be nice right now, okay? Um, so I, I, I want to I kind of keep that in, as our, our frame of reference as we get into the, into the message. So Song of Solomon chapter 2 Verse 8. The bride, she is talking, uh, of course, and she says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Now, um, this is interesting on on a number of levels. One is um, that there is a man, a self-respecting man, leaping and bounding. Just in general, um, in, in our culture, that's generally reserved for boy bands who I would say are not self-respecting men, okay? And so um, to see Solomon, a king who was a warrior, this is a legit guy, leaping and bounding, there's gotta be a good reason. And I would say um, that to profess love for your spouse, for the woman that you love, is the only reason to call into question your legitimate manhood. Okay, and so um, he is doing this in this moment. There, there's, there's some value. He's pursuing her. He's showing her, listen, I don't care that I, I, I don't look like a man right now. I want to be with you. I'm willing to leap and bound, okay? Um, she says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Remember the leaping and the bounding. Um, Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Now, um, this, this moment here conjures up uh, memories of, of literature classes, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo's climbing up the wall, you know, his monologue to Juliet. Juliet, you're so great and stuff. And, and I, I totally remember that, that play. And uh, there, there, though, is a fine line here between romantic Romeo climbing up the wall and creepy stalker Stan uh, who's just looking through the windows, right? Um, And and it seems like that dividing line is um, she likes him, right? And so... um, If, if you're reading this and going, oh, okay, so that's romantic. Okay, so I'm going to look through the windows and look through the... No, no. Um, there's, there's presupposition of relationship here, not just like, she's cute, where's her house, right? Like, <laughs> that's illegal, okay? Um, okay, verse 10. My beloved speaks and says to me, now um, she's talking, but she's quoting him. So even when he's talking, she's talking, okay? Um, She says, arise my love, my beautiful one, this is him, arise my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So we see Solomon here um, 
calling out to her, beckoning to her, come, let's go, let's get out of here. But he uses this language that, um, of the winter passing, of the rain going away, of it warming up, that the sun's coming out, that spring is coming, that the flowers are blossoming, that the fig trees are, 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 are bearing figs, right? And in our pre- preaching collective, Pastor Ryan said, I have a fig tree, and, and they do, in fact, uh, bear figs in the early summer. So, confirmed. Um, and, uh, and so we, we, we've got this kind of metaphorical transition going on here where Solomon is going, finally, our wedding is in view. We've had to date for so long. We've had to court for so long. Our engagement has been so long. Finally, we get to get married. And we see at the beginning of chapter 4, or really in the middle of, of this chapter three, what we'll talk about next week, um, they do get married. Next week will be the wedding and the wedding night, and uh, it, it's gonna be really good. But what's unique about this moment is that Solomon is essentially going, man, I hate dating. I hate courtship. I hate engagement. I just wanna be married, which, which is unique for our culture, um, where this would be probably the exact opposite of most of the young men in our culture who would go, I don't want to get married. Why would I want to tie myself down to one woman? Why would I want to have a ball and chain? Why would I, why would I want all that when I can have all of this, when I can just date and date and date and date and all the girls I want in these shallow, carnal, stupid relationships? I can just have them all day long. Why would I want to give that up for something mu- meaningful and deep and beautiful? And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. That's the question being asked by most of the young men. And so we see in Solomon this, this aberration. This is not consistent with, with our culture. And, and I got I to say, and this is not to pump myself up, but just to get, make, it, make it personal, this, I, I can identify with Solomon. From when I was really young, I, I wanted to get married right? I, I, I just, I loved that idea. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have lots of kids. I want to have kids while I was young. My parents got married when they were, I believe, 21 and 22 or 22 and 21, uh, and then had kids like a year later, right? In the, in the good time period, like a year later afterwards. Um, and so I think they were 23 and 22. So, you know, my, my parents were always really young. My dad could beat me in basketball until I was like 16 or 17, which was really frustrating. And probably was more about me being bad at basketball, but but was, was, was athletic and, and, and was young. And I, really, I just loved that, and I loved that idea. And so I went to college. Uh, my sophomore year went to San Diego to go to college at Point Loma Nazarene and, and, and was looking for a wife, right? And, and, uh, and, I, and I never did the, hey, nice to meet you, how many kids, right, thing. But, but that was definitely my desire. And, and in retrospect, I'm thankful that I didn't meet a wife at Point Loma Nazarene because I wouldn't have met my wife, whom I love. Um, but I was also stupid at 19 or 20 and was looking for the wrong thing. And so um, I, I can identify with Solomon and, and his desire here. Uh, I, I got married at 25 and felt like, oh, I missed it. I'm old, right? So I married a really young girl. It, was, it worked out really nice and so um so that so that the kind of the the plan could be on track there so hey, hey babe uh and so what, what what i'm saying here is is solomon solomon has the right idea at the end of the day solomon has the right idea we have somehow bought into this lie that marriage is 
shackles, it's a ball and chain, it ruins your life. You gotta get all your good stuff out of the way and experience life before you get married and all, everything just starts getting drugged down and all those things. And I wanna travel and see the world before I get married. Man, I'll tell you what, everywhere I go, every, every experience that I have, when I'm by myself or with, with, not with my wife, other guys, pastors always, um, I, I always think to myself, I, this would be better with Emily. This would be better with my wife. Why would I not want to experience the best parts of my life with the best person in my life, right? I'm making up for it. You know, I'm making up for what I said earlier. So, um, so, so but, 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 it's, but I'm being honest. I'm, it, it, why would you not want to experience traveling the world? Why would you not want to experience all the things you want to get out of life with the person that you love the most and are most committed to and love you the most, right? Solomon gets this. Most uh, young men in our culture do not. In fact, uh, Darren Patrick, who is vice president of Acts 29, has a church in St. Louis, just wrote a book um, for church planters, but um, in it has a section on biblical manhood. And, and I will mention, actually, that Darren is going to be coming out here for uh, our boot camp in November. Praxis hosting an Acts 29 boot camp November 9th and 10th. On November 8th, that evening, uh, we are doing a night for the guys with Darren. We're going to do a little bit of music, and then Darren's going to speak on biblical manhood, and all the guys are invited. It's going to be really, really good. So uh, just throw that out there. We'll get you more information on that. But in his book, Darren talks about um, biblical manhood, and one of the statistics that he throws out is that one-third of men in a certain poll, one-third of men prefer video games to sex, which I don't, I don't know what, I don't have words for that. Uh, I've never been a video game guy myself um, for the last uh, five years that I've been married, been, been a big sex guy, but never uh, a big uh, video game guy. And so I, maybe, maybe, the <laughs> Sorry, babe. Uh, maybe video games have gotten a lot better since, uh, since Tech Mobile and uh, Super Mario Brothers, but um, I, I don't understand that. And so what, what, I, I, what it does, it paints a picture to me uh, of a generation of young men who are not willing to do what it takes to enter into a loving, uh, covenantal uh, relationship and, and do the hard work that it takes to have a healthy, vibrant, really good, satisfying sex life. That it's much easier uh, to, to play video games, to kind of be off in, in a fantasy world where uh, you are no longer who you are, but you get to be a warrior or a professional athlete or something that you probably could never be. And so um, there's something attractive about the escapism in that, um, that there's no video games for like accounting, right? Um, it's always something that, that you could never be. And so instead of actually being something um, significant in the world, you, 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 you do it like that. And so um, that paints a picture for me of, of a uh, retarded manhood uh, that largely defines my generation and the generation below me. And it is, it is uh, it, it's frightening to be honest with you. Um, and I see in Solomon a, a young man who, who gets it, who understands um, that, that a wife is a, is a wonderful thing, that marriage is uh, 
remarkably freeing and empowering, right? That finding a woman to love and to pour your life into and who loves you and, and, and it's just, it's unbelievable, right? And so Solomon gets there, he writes throughout the, um, the Proverbs that finding a good wife is, is a gift from God, that uh, whoever finds a good wife finds a good thing, that a, a good wife is, is greater than rubies and, and emeralds and jewels and all these things. I mean, this is a man who, who has seen it, experienced it, and, and testifies uh, to the greatness of it. And so we see in him this desire to get out of dating and move into a committed relationship, which is uh, admirable at least, but biblical. Verse 14, he says, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So um, a- as they near their marriage, um, Solomon is trying to draw her out a little bit here uh, emotionally when he says that uh, she is uh, like in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, that, that there is a piece of her that is hidden. And, and I, think, I think rightfully so, right? That there, that there is an increasing uh, uh, re- revealing of oneself, of your mind, and your, and your heart um, as the relationship goes forward. That, that it just goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. You don't reveal your deepest, darkest desires and wants and past and all those kind of things on the first date, right? That comes um, in, in the natural course of a growing intimate relationship. And so here, as they stand days maybe from their wedding, he is trying to draw her out of the cleft in the rock, draw her out of the crannies in the cliff, saying, you know, reveal yourself tell me tell me who you are let me see your heart let me see your mind you know I I, want to know you and so what what we see here is is largely um, what the result of premarital counseling can be and uh, premarital counseling is something that I I 100% believe in Um, my dad does most of our premarital counseling here and and does a fantastic job and I was actually just talking to a guy um, that's about to start premarital counseling uh, yesterday and he was saying that uh, um, that he told a buddy of his hey I'm gonna start premarital counseling his buddy was like well what's wrong what's going on in your relationship you guys having problems right you know do it is that why you're doing counseling and we're like no it's the opposite of that. We're doing premarital counseling so that there won't be big problems down the road. We're talking about this stuff and getting all this stuff out in the open. And I, and I, and I told him uh, yesterday, I said, the, the process of premarital counseling is a process of just having to talk about everything. So, so just literally drawing each other out on all of these major issues of, of children and faith and family and finances and you know, all, all of this stuff that, that becomes, can become issues down the road, premarital counseling draws that stuff out. And, and I know that my dad's philosophy and what he tells couples early on, if not the first, first meeting, um, is I, I, I want to break you up. My goal is to break you up, okay, which then is kind of like, are we in the wrong meeting or what, what's, what's, what's going on? But um, uh, the idea there is, listen, if, if you're going to break up, if there is some issue in your relationship that is going to cause division to where you're going to split, it should happen now, not 10 years from now. Right, so if there is some irreconcilable difference of opinion on how to raise your children or how to spend your money or uh, the nature of your faith and how that plays out in your home, that should break you up 
before you're married. It should break you up before you're sexually intimate. It should break you up before there are children, before you've invested 10 years of your life together. If this is eventually going to result in, in breakup or divorce, let's, let's break up before there's divorce, right? So let's make sure that these issues are brought to light. And so it's essentially a systematic vetting of one another to, to get on the same page, to narrow the gap between expectations and reality, okay? And so in that process, um, there are issues that emerge, and I think Solomon sees that in verse 15. He says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Now, um, throughout literature, foxes are often used as kind of devious little fellows that, that stir things up, that destroy things. Um, and, and even in, in historical documents, there, there is evidence that foxes were notorious for getting into vineyards, chewing on the vines, and eating the blossoms before the blossoms could turn into grapes. And so um, these foxes were just little troublesome little deals. In fact, in, uh, in, in, your, in your Bible at the bottom, the footnote is an alternate translation for foxes is actually jackals, which, which I kind of prefer in this context because foxes are kind of cute, right? Oh, cute little fox, fox and the hound, they're friends, they play. But, but jackals, right? Like there's no Disney movies about jackals. They just, they just kill you, okay? And so um, I, I want us to think about this as, as jackals that just, just pictured them ripping flesh and stuff um, rather than like the cute little fox, okay? And so the idea here is that there are issues in your relationship, in every relationship, that can kill your relationship before it can blossom, okay? And so after drawing his wife out, after leaping and bounding after her, after saying, I'm so glad that dating is over and we can actually get married now, and and trying to draw his wife out emotionally, Solomon goes, now, we've gotta catch the foxes. We've gotta identify those foxes. We've gotta catch them before they become reality before they can tear up our vineyard. The vineyard has already been a metaphor and will continue to be a metaphor for their relationship, okay? And so very simply, Solomon's going, we've got to identify the issues in our relationship that could potentially down the road um, break us up, hurt us, cause significant pain. So um, I, I emailed my dad this week and said, Give me a list of the top 10 things or so that come up over and over in premarital counseling as, as, that would be good examples of these foxes, so issues um, that, that constantly have to be worked through. So I've got, I've got a list here um, that I want to use as an example. Before I do that, I, I want to mention that this applies to single people, uh, people in dating relationships, uh, courting relationships, and, and married people right? That there are foxes already for you single people. There are foxes in your life that you're, they're like your pet foxes and you're going to bring them into the vineyard. You're going to bring them into the relationship um, and they will cause trouble. And so identifying and eradicating those pet foxes now while you're still single can prevent some of this down the road. Those of you who are married here, um, you have foxes in your marriage that either maybe didn't get dealt with while you were dating or didn't spring up until you were married. So this is not just a thing for for dating people whatsoever. So top examples. First, personality annoyances. We're going to start at number 10. This is going to be a top 10. Um, Personality annoyances. And this may seem super petty, um, but I think if we polled the married people in the room, we could show how um, not putting the toilet seat down quickly leads to you are a sinner. 
okay? And, and it's, it's a short little leap, right? At 11 o'clock or, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning when you go into the bathroom, they're a jerk, not just they forgot, okay? And so um, little, little things that come up like, like toilet seat up or down, like um, do you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle or from the bottom, right? That's big. Um, one of the things for me personally is people who chew with their mouth open. It, it is so annoying. It makes me want to punch people in the face, okay? I, just admitting sin there. Um, I haven't done it yet, but that, that is, that is a, a, a seemingly petty example of something that can quickly become problematic, right? And so there are all kinds of these little annoyances, little uh, personality quirks um, that, that can get in the way, kind of a uh, guy that, that cuts his fingernails and toenails while watching TV, right? Talk about that. Ladies, just go, hey, babe, love you. Um, hate you when you do this, okay? Can, can we identify, catch, and strangle that fox, please, okay? Um, this, this is, this is a, 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 again, seems very petty, um, but it's, it's a short leap from that's annoying to I hate it to I hate you, okay? And so it, 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 it develops along those lines. So those little personality comments. So how, how do you find that out when you are not living together, which hopefully you are not? When you go over to each other's house, so ladies, when you go to your boyfriend's house to hang out, have prayer time, um, or, or, or vice versa, um, keep your eyes open. Look around, see what's going on. You walk in and it kind of smells like something died maybe. Um, <laughs> Okay, maybe ask, hey, everybody okay? No one's, everybody's accounted for, right? Um, just ask that question. You go, when you go into the bathroom, look around. Is there mold? Is there towels on the floor? You know, this, and will that bother you? Maybe you're like, mold, I'm into mold. I like cleaning, right? <laughs> then that's fine. But, but identifying those little things and just walking in, kind of noticing the kitchen, there's some dirty dishes. You go, okay, blue plate, green cup remember that. The next day you come in, huh, blue plate, green cup, same thing, all right. A week later you come in, blue plate, it's actually now kind of green, and, and green cup that's now kind of brown, and okay, that's, we'll have to keep that in mind. So little annoyances, little things that, that are, are a part of single life and, and maybe a normal part of single life that need to change um, when, when you get married. And so, guys, you go to your, your girlfriend's house and, and she's just meticulously clean and she makes you take your shoes off before you come in the house. Are you into that? Or does that really bother you, right? Little thing. Is, is that going to be where you walk in and you go, wow, I love how clean it is, but this will never happen if I live here, right? Maybe be aware of that and go, okay, well, either I need to change, she needs to loosen up, or we need to break up. Okay, one of those things might need to happen. So um, little personal annoyances, personality traits that can become bigger deals. They're foxes, catch them. Um, one of the things that was mentioned is, is the way that you eat or your health, right? So not only uh, what you eat, are you, you know, full-on organic person or are you full-on McDonald's person? Um, those are ends of the spectrum. Uh, or, or do you eat kind of haphazardly throughout the day, or are you pretty strict? I'm going to eat, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to eat at the table. I'm going to use utensils. Um, you know, maybe your boyfriend's not into that, and uh, and and that's something you need to talk to. Um, your health, right? Uh, 
does one half of the relationship uh, hit the gym four or five times a week and really care about being in shape and the other half's just large and in charge or you know and just <laughs> and just loving it uh and 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 just kind of hoping for the best um are there reasonable expectations for the future when it comes to that, right? Uh, you got a six pack now and when you're in your mid 20s, but you won't in your mid 30s, right? Uh, you won't in your mid 40s. Now, is there a reasonable expectation for each other um, or, or does the wife expect her husband uh, to always look like Brad Pitt? Uh, to to never age uh, is there is there is there a, a legitimate expectation is that expectation shared again the pain comes when there's a difference between expectation and reality so even if um, as you get older you, you you aren't as in shape as you as you get older but it matches expectation much less pain much less pain but if there's an expectation that, that health and in-shapeness will stay at this level and it, it continually goes down, bigger gap, more pain, okay? So health, uh, weight, the way we eat, all those kinds of things. Uh, mother-in-law came up often, I think, and so uh, does she have one? Um, is she cool? Probably not. Uh, it, you know, asking those questions um, and, and being aware, both his mother-in-law, her mother-in-law, it came up in the top five. Um, a desire to change a person that is not dealt with at the front end but is planned to be dealt with on the back end is a bad decision. Okay? In other words, you identify a fox in your spouse that they don't know is a fox. To them, it's a bunny. Okay? <laughs> and you go, oh yeah, I'm going to kill that fox after we're married. Right? I, and I'm going to change him or, or her after, you know, maybe 10 years. I'll let him keep that fox. And he's like, oh, my bunny. I love my bunny. And you want to kill his bunny. Right? And so... <laughs> You are going, well, that's a fox and a jackal, and it's going to kill us. And he's going, I love Thumper, right? And so he brings Thumper into the marriage, and then you, he catches you strangling it. That's, that's it's just not going to go well. And so um, identifying those things at the front end instead of saying, I I'm going to change him 10 years from now, right? Eventually, he'll be the man I want to marry. Well, that's a bad plan. Let's identify those things at the front end. Um, say, hey, I think that's a fox. And even if he goes, well, I think it's a bunny, then you guys talk about it and you come to an agreement in the middle. Maybe it's just an angry dog. Uh, and you just, you, you kind of have to identify those things um, beforehand. Um, and, and again, closing that expectation and reality gap. Now, the big ones, money. Money is the number one cause of divorce, stated number one cause of divorce in America, right? Um, how are we going to spend our money? How are we going to save our money? How much money are we going to make? Right? Uh, I've seen couples that um, one couple, maybe the girl comes from a, a more affluent background. Her father had a great job, made lots of money, and, and provided for his family over and above uh, the norm and just you know, did a great job. And she grew up with that as, as just normal. Not, not in an ungodly way or anything, not that she's a slave to it, but just that, that's normal. A certain lifestyle is normal. And then um, the, maybe the husband uh, comes from kind of a middle class, lower middle class, maybe working class kind of family and, and good, provided for, always had food on the table, but expectation of reality and what's normal is, is down here and she's up here. And so you get into the marriage, if you don't talk about it, and he's going, 
well, yeah, this is just going to be our life, right? And she's going, no, this is going to be our life, right? And they don't make enough money to have her lifestyle, or um, they don't get to save any money to have her lifestyle, or they don't give any money away to have her lifestyle. And so there, there becomes a conflict. And, and neither one is better than the other. A, a better or worse uh, standard of living is not necessarily more or less sinful, but expectations brought into it, um, again, create that opportunity for pain. Um, how you're going to spend your money, which things are important. Do you want a really nice house and you'll sacrifice on the cars? Or you want really nice cars and you don't need a big house? Or, you know, just things like that. Public education, private education, that costs more money. Um, maybe one spouse comes from a, an unchurched background where, where giving to the church was never a part of life. And so um, they look at your budget and go, wow, you're giving a lot of money. And, and the other guy goes, really? I was thinking I wasn't giving enough and I, we need to give more because they come from a church background where, where giving was always a part of, of their lifestyle. And so um, those kinds of things can become pain points with how you're going to save, how you're going to spend, what are priorities for the money um, in, in your relationship. So that's a, that's a huge fox. That's a true jackal um, that, that needs to get wrestled with um, before the marriage. Um, second uh, most important one is expectations of roles, right? Um, there are, I, I've seen several husbands who expect their wives to interact like, like their moms did. Not, not that they take care of them like mother to a son, but their wife should, should do what their mom did in the household. So if their mom worked outside of the house, and, and so the family was a dual-income family, and they put kids in, in daycare or whatever the case may be, um, that, that that might be his expectation for his wife. But his wife may be going, well, I actually don't want to work outside the house. I want to be a mom, and I want to take care of the home, and, and, and I want to all, you know, always be with the kids and, and this kind of thing. And so there's, again, an expectation clash. And, and you know, maybe it's the other way around, where, where the guy's father or the guy's mom was always home and, and was there to greet them with freshly baked cookies every day after school, and, and he expects to be greeted with freshly baked cookies by his wife every day after work and, and, and wants to come in and s immediately smell lamb being cooked for dinner that night and, and lobster together. And so, um, and, and she uh, is actually meeting him at the door after getting home from work herself going, oh, did you pick up Chipotle? And so um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a clash of expectation there. And so um, those kinds of things are, are really important things to, to get worked out. Who's going to take out the garbage? Who's going to do the dishes? Um, who's responsible for cleaning the bathroom? All of these things, again, sound so petty. And if you are single, you're probably going, oh, come on, how could that be a big deal? And then you just need to turn to the married person next to you, and they'll go, mm, listen to him. Uh, because... <laughs> It is a big deal because you start to, there, there starts to be bitterness that wells up when these things aren't taken care of, right? And so a wife who expects her husband to always have an eye on the garbage and take out the garbage when she sees it overflowing and he's like balancing things on it, um, <laughs> bitterness wells up, right? And she goes, why can't he do it? Why won't he just take out the garbage? When he's just going, it doesn't need to be taken out yet it's still balancing, right? And, uh, or, or why don't you, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Or um, a husband who has no experience with, with 
cars, right? Can't fix the car. He barely can put gas in it. And, and her dad was a car guy and would, you know, replace the carburetor like that and the, and the whole deal. And, and he's going, cars have berators. And so uh, there's, there's, uh, um, there's just differences of expectation. Okay. And so uh, again, these seem super simple and, and really petty, but it builds up. And, and there, is a, there is just increasing gap between expectations and reality, and bitterness lives in the space between. Um, the most important, though, and, and the one that I've seen cause the most significant amount of pain is, is past, right? The past that we bring into um, a relationship. And so whether the, those pasts are, are the more um, high-profile issues of the past, maybe drug abuse or alcohol abuse or, or physical sexual abuse done to a person, um, sexual promiscuity and, and what that brings into a relationship. Or on the other hand, what might be often overlooked is um, a, a very churchy background um, that was heavily legalistic and, and moralistic and there was a lot of guilt and shame brought in and when mistakes were made, they were covered over and not spoken of. There was no repentance and grace. There was just um, you know, kind of covering over and pretending because we wouldn't want to show that, that we were sinful people. And so that brings a whole bunch of baggage into a relationship as well, maybe, maybe as much or more um, than, than the dark, broken past because that can be more high profile and more obvious um, and more easily dealt with where legalism and moralism can be couched as uh, Christian and, and therefore be more insidious and, and a little bit more dangerous maybe even. And so um, that past that's brought into a relationship needs to be talked about, okay? And, and, I, and I know that there might be some different theories on this out there that, hey, if it's not gonna hurt the person, let's not, not bring it in, or maybe we just don't need to speak of that. It, I've been forgiven, it's my past, I, I, I repented and God forgave me. Um, but that, that doesn't mean it doesn't still impact you at, a, at an emotional level. It doesn't mean um, that if you got into a situation where maybe you have sexual abuse in your past and, and you begin to be sexually intimate in marriage that some of that stuff in the past is, is kind of brought up um, surprisingly to you. And, and I've, I've dealt with couples that, that have struggled with this. And so dealing with those issues is really important. In fact, um, in Tommy Nelson's book, he talked about um, one young girl that he met that um, when she was a teenager had gotten pregnant and had given up the baby for adoption to a Christian couple in her church, which was very responsible, um, I think probably a godly decision, uh, but she didn't want to tell her, her husband. And so when they were in premarital counseling, it came up and she told Tommy that she, she didn't want to say anything to her husband. It was in her past and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't her, uh, her reality. And, and he just was like, that, that is stupid. Um, imagine, imagine a day when you are at the mall and you walk up and you see the girl with that family and there's this moment of like, he doesn't know, right? Like that, that you, you have to deal with. Um, and the husband's going, you, you have a, you have a child that, that you didn't tell me? I mean, that just creates unbelievable pain and struggle in that relationship. And so um, as difficult as it can absolutely be, um, it is far more valuable to deal with that pain before marriage um, than 5, 10, 20 years into marriage um, when there are a million other implications of it. Might it break you up? Sure, it might. 
it might be that those issues are too much for your potential spouse to deal with and they, they don't have the maturity to handle that they don't have the grace to handle it, whatever whatever it may be it's just it's just more than they can bear um, and it may it may break you up but better then before you're married than than five or ten years in when there's children involved and you have a life together and all these things and so um, it, it is it is really important for full disclosure um, in your marriage beforehand uh, of what's gone on in your past and and a lot of those things can can be drawn out um, in premarital counseling now when that happens and those and those foxes are revealed there's there's a broad range and, and somewhat subjective range um, a, a value that we put on those different foxes where some of us go wow that's a big big fox that's a big problem and others may go well that's not a big deal but but there's disagreement on those issues. And so what has to be at the center of this whole thing and the only way um, that bringing up these foxes, identifying these foxes and dealing with them can actually be helpful is if the gospel is at the center of it. That, that the same grace that you desire to have extended to you when you talk about your past, when you talk about struggle that you've had, sin that's in your past, or just experience that, that is in your past, perhaps sin done against you, the same grace that you desire uh, to receive in that moment, you need to extend uh, to, your, to your partner, to potential spouse, um, even if you think their stuff's way bigger than yours. Right? I mean, that, that is the crux of the gospel there that christ extends grace universally that christ extends grace that covers over any sin in our lives that if there is repentance and there is confession and there is true contrition of the heart um, that grace covers over all of it and so um, as we interact in these things that framework of the gospel has to be at the center of this thing and if it can be a part of that premarital moment um, of dealing with those foxes before marriage, then that is a framework that will continue to, to be at the center of your relationship on into marriage. But if you don't establish it here, there will be hurt and pain and bitterness, bitterness and legalism and all these things that, that get involved and really get into the DNA and the culture of your marriage. So establishing the gospel as the center of the whole deal that we've received, unbelievable grace. And so we have, as Christians, a call to extend that grace um, to, to each other. In fact, um, in just below this, there's an example of a little fox in Solomon and, and the woman's relationship. In chapter 3, if you want to just skip down, chapter 3, verse 1. This is uh, the bride's uh, dream. It says, On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. So there, there's a fear here in her, clearly, in this, in this very next chapter, before the wedding, she has this dream where she's laying in bed, and in, her, in her dream, wakes up, Solomon's not there, and she's running around the city trying to find him. So there, there's clearly some fear here in her heart of abandonment. She understands that Solomon is the king. He's a busy man. There's a lot of uh, responsibilities, a lot of demands on his time, a lot of very important things that he has to deal with. And so there's a sense of, uh, of, of 
fear of abandonment, a fear of that he's going to choose the kingdom over her, or he's going to choose and be gone in the middle of the night to war or to, for some, some reason. But this is an issue that, that they need to deal with in their marriage, a, a fear that she has that she needs to articulate and, and hopefully does in this context as he's saying, we need to catch for us the foxes. She needs to go, you know what? I had a dream. And I think that dream might mean, might be, might be revealing something in my heart that I'm really afraid that your position as king is going to result in me being alone a, a lot of nights, right? And let's talk about that. And maybe it, maybe it means that he says, listen, I, I, I will not be gone more than this many nights a week, or I, you know, I, I promise I'll wake you up and tell you if I have to leave for kingly business or whatever. I mean, it, it seems so simple, um, but these are the things, these expectations and realities that, that cause the pain. So, uh, Ephesians 2.16. Now, I, I think, or sorry, Ephesians, Song of Solomon 2.16. Um, I, I think that this progression of their relationship, Solomon trying to draw her out, this transition into this next phase of their relationship, um, and then an acknowledgement of catching the foxes uh, really, really dovetails perfectly with verse 16, where she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. That she says, my beloved is mine and, and I am his. That there is this sense, this real sense out of, out of her mouth, a real sense of ownership. She, she has, she is ready in, in marriage, is ready to give herself to Solomon, and then there is an expectation of, of reciprocation that he will in turn give himself to her. And the, those are essentially the vows that we give in, in a wedding. I just did a wedding two weeks ago. In fact, one of our worship leaders who is leading this morning in Arcadia, Ryan, and his wife Jenny, uh, got to do their wedding, and just a great couple. And they're standing in front of me, and, and, I, and I told Jenny, I, you know, it was a little late for her because they were there. I mean, I guess she could have left, but I, I, I said, my advice to, to single women is always choose very wisely. Be very, very picky. So Ephesians 5 tells us that the biblical understanding of marriage, that, that the bride's understanding of marriage here is that um, in, in Ephesians 5, when Paul says, wives, respect and obey your husbands. He says, husbands, be ready to die for your wives. Be ready to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for the church for your wife. So the, the call here is while you are still single, you have this opportunity to choose very wisely. You have this opportunity right now before you are in marriage to pick a man that you will obey, that you will respect, that you will trust. I, I was watching a TV show the other day, and um, in the TV show, a woman asked a man, she said, do you trust me? And he hesitated for just like a nanosecond and then said, yes, I trust you. And she got all upset because he hesitated. And, and I thought that they've missed the whole idea. That, that trust is a decision to make. I, I don't inherently trust anybody, but I choose to trust my wife every day, and she chooses to trust me, right? That this is, this is the essence of this covenant that we make in marriage, that we stand before each other, we stand before God and our friends and family and say, I am deciding to give away my life to this person. The bride says it to the groom. The groom says it back to the bride. I give myself to you. I am no longer just mine. I am yours also. This is the biblical ideal for marriage. So if 
If you are here and you are single and you are looking to marriage and to have a biblical marriage, to to have a biblical understanding of marriage that does not end, a biblical understanding of marriage that that divorce is not an, an, an escape clause, if you are looking forward to a biblical ideal of marriage where you give yourself to someone that you trust and love and respect and are ready to obey and that husbands, you are giving yourself to a wife that you would be willing to lay down your life for, then it requires that you be very picky on the front end. So I'm always in favor of very long dating periods and very short engagements. By the time you are ready to say, I I want to give myself to this person and I trust that they want to give themselves to me, get married. Don't wait a bunch of time after that. Just get married. Figure out the wedding. Just get married. But take a really long time before you make that commitment. But hey, if, if you look at marriage as just kind of something to hop into and then you get tired of it and so you're going to hop out and then maybe try to hop back in again and then that didn't really work and so you hop back out and divorce is just kind of a, uh, the end of an angry argument for you, then heck, just get married to whoever. Whoever you're dating right now, if they're cute and they, they got some money, just marry them, right? Because it doesn't matter. In the end, you're just, it, it's just the next step in your dating life. It's not a commitment that you're making. It's not a covenant that you're entering into. And, and it's not the biblical ideal at all but if we have any desire to do love to do sex to do marriage to do romance the way that the creator of love and marriage and sex and romance intended for it to be that perfect plan then you had better be picky now so that when you stand on that stage before the pastor with all your friends and family and you look that person in the eye and say, I will be with you until death separates us. That you know that that's true. That you are making the commitment to the truthfulness of that statement. That it's not, it's not true in some kind of philosophical sense of, of where it's, it's ultimately true. It's true because you're committing to it. It's true because you understand God who created marriage created it to be this way. And so you stand before those people and you make a pledge. And that relationship going forward has at its heart the gospel because it is a picture of the gospel. It will require a level of grace given and a level of grace received. And it all starts with grace received from Christ on the cross. That you cannot give a grace that you have not received. And the ultimate giver of grace is God himself. And so if an understanding of the gospel is not at the center of your life, it will not be at the center of your marriage. Therefore, repentance and forgiveness and restoration will not be at the center of your marriage. And therefore, it will be incredibly difficult and probably end badly. And so, grace starts with God poured out to us through Christ. And it changes us. We receive that grace so that we can give that grace in marriage. So, we see this ongoing intimacy in their relationship, and then we end with chapter 3, verse 5. The woman says again what she said before, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love 
until it pleases. It's the second time she's given this warning. The first time was a result of a physical interaction. This time it's a result of an emotional interaction. That as their emotional intimacy grows and grows and grows, there is a, there is a tendency to want to overcommit and overstep. There is a good, healthy pace that this stuff needs to take. And there are some things physically that are not to be done until marriage. There are some things emotionally that are not to be done until marriage. There is a pace. There is a process. There is a perfect plan that God has. And so she stops in the middle of this emotional conversation where her husband is trying to draw out her heart. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, do not stir up or awaken love too soon. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for Song of Solomon. That you've taken the time to address a part of our lives that is so critical to our human experience. That you've connected the dots for us from you and from the grace that you've given us. to the part of our lives, to a part of our lives that the vast majority of us will experience. Lord, I pray that we would draw those lines in our, in our own life, that we would understand that the grace given to us in spite of flaws, in spite of sin, is a grace that is not intended to terminate on us. That the grace we have received is a grace we are also to give. Jesus, I pray for the single people here. Lord, that you would give them a, a sense of security and identity in that they are sons and daughters of the King. That they would not be motivated, that they would not be driven by a need to be married, by a need to be in relationship. That they would be completely secure in you knowing that you are sovereign over time, that you are sovereign over their relationships, their love life, that they would be picky, that they would be self-aware, that they would know what they're looking for, know what you have for them. Lord, as they are choosing a mate, I pray that they would be choosing based on the right criteria that when they're picky, that they are picky in the right areas. Lord, I pray for the couples who are dating and moving towards marriage. Lord, I pray that they would identify and, and catch those little foxes, that they would kill them, that they would eradicate them from their life. They would declare war on the foxes, knowing that it, it may save their marriage. Lord, I pray for the married people some of whom are dealing with the effects of not catching the foxes beforehand. Lord, I pray for a great amount of grace that husbands would love their wives, that wives would love their husbands.
pray that husbands would lead. Lead in grace. Lead in mercy. Lead in strength. Lord, just pray that you would protect us from the lies that this world is telling us about our relationships. That we would cling to the truth of Scripture and strive for the biblical ideal that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen.